Um, for this second preach slot, we decided to do an interview, and so I'd like to ask you to welcome up to the stage here, Johan and Marlise Meyer. They're from Johannesburg. <clears throat> They pastor a church called LRC, which is in Lindbrough Park on the East Rand. Um, they're friends of mine, of ours. I think I've known Johanna Malis for 20 odd years. I think that's all on. Do you want to just test your volume there, Malis and Johan? Hello. Yeah, I'm Got there. It. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, um, I, sorry. If you, want, if you want to put that cushion down, Johan, so you're welcome there. Um, so, Johan and Malise, part of their story that we're going to focus on tonight is from before they were married. Both of them come from same-sex relationship background, but to give you a little bit of context of how far back that was in their lives, I'd like to show you a picture of their family. So, Molly's, maybe I can start with you. Could you introduce us to your family? How long have you been married to this handsome fellow? And uh, tell us a little bit about your kids. Um, hi, my name's Molly's. I have been married to this handsome fellow for 21 years. Those are our children. Oh, I miss them. Um, so right at the back, we've got Levi with the glasses. He's 26 today. Happy birthday, my boy. Um, that is my son born from my heart. We adopted him. He keeps telling me, Mom, you keep getting it wrong. It was 18, not 16. So when he was 18... Um, then to the right of him is Grace. She's our biological firstborn. Uh, she's in Los Angeles at the moment, living her best life at Restoration LA with Jody and Vanessa, living with good friends of ours. <laughs> um, then to the left of Levi is Jude, my beautiful boy. He's also our biological son. Um, then we've got Ava with the short hair. She's like a mini-me. <laughs> She is 14. And then we've got Iris on the side. It's like Johan in female form in every way. She's beautiful. <laughs> Iris is 10, and that's our last born, Joy Joy, or just Joy. She will be nine next week. So, yeah. And then we've got five foster kids as well, all married. And um, four couples living abroad and one couple living in Cape Town and some grandkids from them as well, yeah. So that's us. <laughs> Brilliant. Johan, just by way of background, you've, you've had some marketplace ministry or work. We were involved in a church in Cape Town, on eldership in that church, and more recently in Johannesburg, part of a team, and you guys now lead a team. How long have you been leading the team at uh, LRC? Uh, 2015, so what's that? Yeah. Eight years? Yeah, eight years we, we transitioned leadership at LRC, and before that, eldership on team from 2010. 
Yeah. So that was, what, what, three years, five years? Right. And then we, yeah, cool. They're the maths. I'm actually better at maths than it seemed, I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So I want to just thank you guys up front for being courageous enough to share the story. I think last year, um, the end of last year was the first time that you'd shared it in a, in a church forum. A couple of weeks ago, we did the same interview at their local church for them to tell their church part of their story as well. Um, so, Johan, maybe we can dive right in. Going back, obviously, before you were married, could you tell us a little bit about your journey of life, especially sexuality? Sure. So, um, I, when I was young, from about 6 to 10, I was uh, sexually molested by a guy. So, that was my first exposure to, to sexuality. Um, later in life, from about uh, 15, 16, I went in and out of relationships, also same-sex. And um, that carried on to about 21, when um, I, yeah, God, God intervened. Um, so sex to me was, wasn't something that was always chosen, but it was thrust upon. And then it was something that was done too. I was raped once. Um, so I had, had been the object of somebody else's pleasure. And I was violated uh, in, in, in certain ways and on many occasions. And eventually I decided, well, I might as well give myself to it. At least I will pick and I will dictate. Um, but very much uh, unaware of um, almost heterosexual act of sex. I was very much into same sex. Um, yeah, and everything that goes with that. Let's, let's leave it there. You weren't looking for a single monogamous one-person relationship with another guy. It was just as you saw fit for your pleasure. <laughs> Oh, you take us back now to when I was so rubbish. Hey, <laughs> um, uh, I'm very attractive, as you can see. Um, <laughs> and I'm slightly bigger than I used to be. <laughs> but I was, uh, I would say, indiscriminately flirting with any sex, any gender. Um, mostly if there was a couple, I would flirt with both the guy and the girl to break up the relationship so I could end up with the guy. So I really was the rubbish of the rubbish uh, when it comes to, yeah, um, that. Um, yeah, and kind of always played the victim in it. No, 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 that's not what I meant. You, you read too much into a situation. I'm just a nice guy. Um, but um, ill intent, yeah, all the way <laughs> for sexual exploits. Yeah. Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> Marlies, you come from a very different upbringing to what Johan's describing a loving, caring family, got amazing parents. Um, could you describe some of your journey going into adolescence and um, into your early relationships? Sure. Um, yeah, so grew up very different to Johan in a very happy family, as you said, incredible parents. Uh, Johan always says, I came out of the womb saved. So, <laughs> yeah, one of those. I, I don't actually know when I gave my life to Jesus. I just grew up in church 
my mom tells the story of how she played the organ and with her one foot she had her foot on the carry cot and her other foot she was playing the pedal. Um, so grew up in church, was exposed to church from an early age, church leadership from an early age, only ever did church. Um, and I think going through my teenage years, I became quite insecure, like most teenagers do. Um, and there was this deep desire in me to just be seen and liked for who I was. Um, and for most part, just by a guy, at least, you know. I just wanted, you just wanted to be seen and you just wanted, you, you imagined this wedding day one day and having children one day and um, let it be a godly man. So that was the desire of my heart. Um, but being insecure and just going through the motions and uh, realizing, sure, okay, there's a lot of insecurity in me. Um, we had like a youth group at church and this girl quite a bit older than me came into the church and we just became friends really. It wasn't, there was no sexual attraction initially. Um, and she just started seeing me and complimenting me and telling me what an incredible person I was and I had such wisdom and insights and all these things and, and I was so drawn to someone who was just seeing me and, and actually enjoyed spending time with me. Um, and I remember one day we were just sitting chatting and I, I think she, she kind of just touched my leg or something and something in me knew that I felt different. And I was quite taken aback by my feelings. Um, I was shocked by how I felt in that moment but it left me very curious. So I was only ever in one same-sex relationship, and it was this one. It wasn't a very long one. It, it lasted for about six months, um, but it was a very real thing to me, and it was something that I was willing to give everything up for. Yeah. I'm just noticing some people behind your shoulder can't see both of you properly. Johannes, any chance you could just move your chair a fraction? I'll do everything. Better? Awesome, thank you. Um, Johan, you mentioned just now when you got to 21 years of age, there was this moment of, of transformation that happened for you, but it, you didn't set out looking for it. It wasn't like you had this moment where you thought, okay, I need to do something different. You were just living your life as you described. Could you tell us about what happened that particular evening? Yeah, this is when you tell a friend everything and then he, he remembers. Um, <laughs> so, I, um, I, I must have been searching of some sort, so I, w I went to a, a, a counseling course. And part of the counseling course um, was a retreat every, every quarter. And in this specific one, it was a camp. And we went to the camp, um, we had tents, and then you would go to this, like this. Let's call it an olden day equip. But we had to do it in remote areas with no hot water to somehow prove to God how much we loved Him. And we were there, and for some 
reason, I still cannot remember what the altar call was about, whether it was peer pressure that caused me to just go to the front or something, but I ended up in this long line, and any old Pentecostal charismatic person knows exactly what I'm talking about. And they start to pray on the one side, and the next minute, everybody falls. And I was standing in this line, knowing something's going to come, but actually very preoccupied with what was going to happen after the evening. Because I was planning how I was going to seduce the guy that I was sharing a tent with. How I was going to do it, and what I'm going to do, and what I'm going to spill on my clothes to end up in a certain exposed way and brush up. And I'm, I'm actively thinking while I'm standing waiting for somebody to come and pray so it can just get over with and we can go back to this God-forsaken campsite. And um, as I was standing there, um, I remember hearing behind me while I was contemplating having sex, knowing that what I was doing wasn't just bad because it was like same-sex sex. It was out of marriage sex <laughs> like there's no ways to make it acceptable it's not a white lie i completely contemplating how i was going to give myself how i was going to violate somebody else and how i wanted to to control the person i heard a voice behind me that said you are my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased and i thought what the heck and i turned around and there was no one there and I've heard God three times in my life, and that was the first. And I still thought, this is, this is odd, because how does He love me when He knows my thoughts? <laughs> I'm, I'm not worthy of the love. <laughs> He's calling me son. I don't want to be a son. <laughs> and um, I remember standing there, Deciding, well, if he calls me son and he speaks to me despite knowing how rubbish I am, I suppose I need to do something. And I packed up and I left. I still don't know what happened at that campsite or where my tent is. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> that was the, the that became a, a, a scripture in my life, a text. You are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, um, I, I come from an abandoned um, uh, upbringing. Like I had a passive-aggressive father and a domineering mother that aimed to control, and and it left me not even knowing what it's like to be called son. <laughs> and here in the moment, yo, I hear an audible voice call me son. <laughs> sure. I get very emotional when I hear that story because of the incredible power of God's love just shaking your world up and uh, we're going to loop back to what happened after that, the some of the journey that you went on. But Marlies, it, it wasn't quite the same for you in terms of hearing a voice on a night. Could you describe what happened towards the end of that relationship? 
Yes, so um, obviously this, it was not something that was celebrated. Um, it's something that you very much hid. You didn't want anyone to know about it. Um, because deep down inside, you know, I know the reputational damage it would have brought to my parents. Um, they were very much involved with worship ministry. Um, and I think the reputational damage it would have brought to myself in the church, being in leadership and helping with youth and leading youth groups. And, um, and I remember sharing this relationship with one of my friends. And while I was away one weekend, um, my parents, I think they discerned that something was off with this relationship with this girl. I mean, I don't think they thought like I was having sex with her or anything, but they, they just said something was off. And, and this friend of mine then told my parents that um, what, they, what they are discerning is this, she's definitely in a relationship with this girl. Um, I came back from that weekend and um, my dad had phoned the girl that I'm in a relationship with, asked her to come over to the house and basically said to us, like, is this, is this the life you want to live? Is this how you want to live? Um, my dad also threatened to drive over with his bucky, so she kind of backed out and said, no, no, we, we don't want to live this life, thank you very much. <laughs> Um, but I do think out of respect for my parents, she, she said, look, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not here to cause trouble. Um, and shortly after that, she moved away. She moved to a coastal area and we stayed in Joburg. And I remember the day she, she moved away that my heart was so broken. Um, because I thought, I, I said to God, God, why... Why would you take something away from me that makes me feel so alive and so seen and so loved? I was angry with God. I was, um, I was angry that this was wrong. And um, <laughs> I mean, growing up in church, you know the word of God is powerful. So I thought, okay, and the message Bible had just become quite a big thing. So I bought myself a message Bible and I decided I'm just going to start reading the word because I felt so broken. And I just read and read and read and scratched and read and nothing made sense. And with every chapter I read, I just said, God, I don't know. I don't know how to let go of this. I don't know how to not feel this. I don't know how to not feel this broken. Um, and I started in the New Testament and I just read and read and read. And then the one day I came across the scripture in James. James 1 verse 13 that said, don't let anyone under pressure to give into evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give into evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby sin and sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer and when i read that i knew in my heart that i was walking towards death if i didn't let this go but i remember my conversation with god being if i let this go lord i cannot let it go for a counterfeit love 
I cannot let it go for something that is not going to fulfill me, but I'm willing to give you a chance. And, um, and that's where I started committing and walking into his ways again. And it was a good two-year walk for me before I could say, okay, I've let go. Yeah. Your words there about letting go, this powerful feeling of being seen and loved and accepted. I, I think it's so powerful what you said, and I'm only willing to let that go for a greater love. Over the next two years, you came to understand God's deep love for you that far outweighed actually any other human love. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. And I think the way that I experienced his love most, um, I think the church wasn't always very helpful in their approach. Someone would either want to drive a demon out of you, or they would want to lay hands on you and break some curses over your life. Or they would just tell you to get over yourself. But when I sat with Jesus, even in my anger, even in my questions, he was just there. He always stayed. He just stayed. Sat with me in my mess and he stayed. And I would rant and I would rave. And sometimes I would curse. But he stayed. And in that staying... I knew that this love was real. Um, he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to leave me. And that gave me the courage to say, okay, I can. I can walk away from this. I can because his love is greater. He stayed for me. He didn't tell me, you better change. Never. Never said to me, okay, now it's time. I'm drawing the line in the sand. He was just there for every moment that I tried to put my next foot in front of my next foot. He was there. That was his love for me. Yeah. Johan, what was your journey? Because you drive away from that campsite with now this voice in your head. I'm a son. He loves me. He's pleased with me, even though, in your words, I'm a rubbish. <laughs> How does your mind transform over the next period of time your view on sexuality, relationships, your identity, was it a, an easy journey? No, I don't think it was easy. Um, <clears throat> like, I didn't know it was scripture, first of all. I just thought it was something that he said to me later, I discovered it's scripture. So I think to a great degree, scripture played a big part in both of our lives. Um, a couple of things is that he loved me, so I was exposed or, or all of a suddenly I experienced this love that's unconditional. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. And he called me son, that which I, I didn't know what it meant. Uh, so I had to discover now, what does it mean? How do I devote myself to this love? What is this love? Um, God gave me some people that came on my way and walked a journey um, in certain things for me, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, clarity. I had to make peace with relationships that shaped my ideas of masculinity and femininity, father and mother. Um, I had to forgive my dad. I didn't know why he didn't want me, but I got to the bottom of that eventually. Um, and um, then I had to decide, but what does it mean if I'm not gay? 
What am I? Who am I? What does it look like? What does a son look like? What does a husband look like? Over and above that, over the next couple of months, he gave me a word that says, I will get married. I was like, I'm not sure I want to get married. But you did want children. I wanted children. That's yeah. true. I told you that. Yeah, I wanted children with everything in me. I wanted, maybe it was because I wanted to show my parents how to do it. Like, you know, just, because as, as kids, we always know better, don't we, you know? Um, but I wanted children. Um, and wherever I could, I, I tried to do that. Um, then I had to now, because I had fallen in love with the masculine form, I had to think now, what is this going to look like? What do I find attractive about a woman? Like, would the breasts do it for me? Or what, what, would it be the calves? What would it be, you know? And the only thing, don't laugh at me. I know you. You men laughing at me, you know what I'm talking about. And I had to discover that I enjoyed the, the intellect and the perspective of femininity. That was your starting point. That was my starting point. And I thought, I could work with this. God, are you okay with us starting here? I worked with that. So I started to make friends and discover what do I like about it. And some days I was intrigued by the thoughts. And some days I was intrigued by just by the feminine form. Um, I was always quite camp and um, flamboyant. But that, I discovered, didn't mean what people thought it meant because they labeled me. So this journey of mine was a journey of recognizing a lie that had taken root in my life and searching out the truth of God. I wasn't, <laughs> I believe I, I was a, a son, a boy, but I wasn't accepted for that. So that was a lie. I had to go and find out, why does he love me? I'm a rubbish. <laughs> and then I had to find out, well, I can only get sexual pleasure from certain acts. And then he said, but what if? And um, I had to first walk um, away from the lie that I am my sexual, what I bring. I am what you can get out of me. <laughs> I had to realize I am not the pleasure I give you. <laughs> I am loved. I, I bring my father pleasure because I am, not because of what I do. And I had to walk in that for a bit. And slowly but surely, the shoes became comfortable. And, um, yeah, through some divine connection, I met my wife. And it's so funny because in the beginning, um, if you had to write down all the things I found attractive in femininity and in womanhood and in female, um, Molly's weren't that. But she was everything I needed and what I desired. She's gorgeous. Look at her. Mother of six. Show me. Show me. There isn't. 
And that was definitely not my brain that did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> she lies. She cums all her subjects in her degrees. She does. <laughs> Malice, when people come to you and they're somewhere in the journey of trying to figure out between same-sex attraction, same-sex identity, sexuality, figuring it out between all the unhelpful things some people in the church have said or done. What is the advice that you give people who are saying, talk to us about this? Um, we, we have had the privilege to walk with quite a few people who have come and said, look, let's at least start the conversation. Um, it is a very, very hard thing to walk away from. It is so hard. It is so hard to give it up. So when we start the conversation, we always like, okay, let's just take sexuality out of it completely. Let's, whether you want to be with a girl or a boy or a girl and a boy or what, let's just take all of that off the table and let's just look at you as a person. On a scale from zero to 10, if you had to describe your best self emotionally, physically, spiritually, what are you at the moment? And most people come in at like maybe a three or a four. And then my question is always, so if you want to be the, with this person, don't you think they deserve at least an eight or a nine in wholeness as a person? And we always say, let's just take everything off the table and focus on you and your wholeness and who you are outside of your sexuality. What is it? Who, who are you outside of that? And when we start focusing on wholeness like that, and we st I love what Peter said tonight, when we see through, when you don't just see, oh, it's a girl kissing a girl. da da we have to see through that, the person. We have to see where they are and what is happening deep down inside. Because let me tell you, to give that up, there has to be something greater. Um, I was so challenged this week when I was thinking about this. I felt God say to me, you know, I loved and gave myself knowing who will accept me and who wouldn't. And I didn't give myself less for those who would never accept me on this side of eternity. I gave myself fully. And I felt God say, can we start loving people in that kind of way? Where even if they never walk away and say, we're going to get people who are going to say, I don't know how to walk away from this. And if we cannot see through that and still love them, we've got a problem. Sure. We're going to stand in a moment and pray, bring, a, bring the meeting in for a little bit of ministry and then to land, but how many of you know this is a seriously vulnerable thing to share stories of your past, this is more than 20 years ago, and to share it openly and honestly because they're secure within themselves, but also want other people to hear and to be helped. All of us are helped.
by hearing an incredible story of God's love breaking into your guys' lives. Could we give them just a huge round of applause and thanks. Could we stand together, please? We've messed up the Muso's space here a little bit, but Carmen, maybe we could have you back on the keyboard if you don't mind. Thanks, Greg, whoever else can manage. Oh, thanks, Stan. The statistics I've read is that 10% of adults some point in their lives are trying to figure out same-sex attraction. They don't all act on it, but 10% of adults, men and women, trying to figure out same-sex same journey. The thing that so blows me away about Johanna and Molly's story is that it wasn't somebody standing with truth and bashing it that brought about any change. Bible, I think, is pretty clear on what God says. Are you guys the chair carriers? Awesome. Thank you. But the transforming agent was the love of God. The unconditional acceptance of God, but He didn't leave them exactly the same. God's love never leaves us the same. It always transforms all of us rubbishes. We've all got rubbish. We all need our brains to be washed. We all need our hearts to be cleansed. And it just happened to be their sexuality that was that journey. But every single one of us need transformation. And so for me, that's a, a really key thing on this subject. Is if you and I, who have only struggled with heterosexual lust, are judgmental on people who are struggling with homosexual lust, then we fall far outside of grace because we all need forgiveness. I'm not exactly sure how to land a session and interview like that, but I think it would be a good idea to invite you to close your eyes and to just let the love of God, the grace of God flow into your life. Maybe you've been critical of others. Maybe you're here tonight and you've had some of the same journey that Johanna and Melissa had, have had. And you're like, thank God somebody said something about it. I feel like I'm going crazy with these feelings and thoughts. Wherever we're at on our journey, we need God's incredible love, like this giant unending waterfall. So, Father, this evening, so grateful to you for the transformational love of the Father into our lives. You can stand behind your hun at a youth camp when those thoughts are going through his mind and say, you're my son. I love you and I'm well pleased with you. It's not because of our actions. It's because you are so loving. There's such a sense in my heart tonight, Father, that you want to speak over every man tonight and say, this is my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Guys, receive those words tonight. Every one of us, we need to hear them afresh. For every woman here tonight, this is my daughter whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Just hear those words afresh. 
God, we want to drink deep of your love. We want to be transformed by it. Your love extends to every area of our life. You want to transform us top to bottom and inside out. And in this area of sexuality, regardless of whether we're attracted to people of the same sex or the opposite sex, you call us to live a life of purity, that our sexuality falls under the direction of your love, that it's a healthy expression. And the sinful nature doesn't make that easy, so we ask for your grace and your help. Maybe there's some men and women here tonight that the part of your hunt story that you share is abuse that happened to you when you were a child. And if you've been healed from that through God's love, that's awesome. We don't want to go scratching at any of the, the healed stuff. But if it's been an area you've been too afraid to go, God's love is not afraid. Peter's message tied in so beautifully that we're people that can live without fear. We can live without that pain of the past as well. Father, I know that so much, so often healing, part of the process is engaging with somebody else, a trusted other person. But a whole lot of it is also receiving love and grace and healing directly from you. And I pray for anybody here tonight who suffered sexual abuse, who was the victim of sexual abuse. That your hand of healing would be extended. Your hand of grace tonight. That wounds in the emotions and in the heart and the trauma center of their minds would be healed that you would bring healing that you would enable them to forgive the perpetrators of those that violence against them that they can walk free I worship you this evening great king if we could the music team could lead us in a song sorry Stan you got something to say